and welcome to Tabletop Game Talk, On Topic, a show where we talk about tabletop gaming topics of all kinds. I'm one of your hosts, Fletcher. I'm Kitty. And I'm Chris. This week, Chris is forcing us to talk about chess and blaming it on The Queen's Gambit on Netflix. I mean, sure, The Queen's Gambit was great, and everyone should watch it, and I'll do my best not to spoil anything. But is that really a good reason to talk about chess? Chris seems to think so. And he says he's going to talk about chess clocks, too. Get excited. <laughs> but first, <laughs> as always, thank you to our Patreon friends of the show, Adam Harrison, Miles Clark, and the Gift of Games in Grace Lake, Illinois. And a huge thank you to all of our other patrons as well. All right. I am excited to talk about chess. Um, <laughs> if if you were in our live audience, you just had a pre-show of, let's see, we had baby talk, toddler talk, and then mixed drink talk? I guess there was rum talk. So um, join us. Join us often. Uh, and you can find out how, tabletopgametalk.com slash live. I oftentimes don't update the date or the topic, but the time is always <laughs> Monday at 8.30, unless Kitty does something to mess that up. Is so, it usually me? It's been only the last two times. <laughs> but the it's one okay. time it was my recorder, and the other time, no one wanted to do it. Blame it on Nobody me, fine, to. but no one wanted yeah. to. <laughs> well, so... Last week, we recorded on Monday. So if you were here on Monday, we were here. But then we recorded again on Tuesday. And fortunately, John told me how to do backup audio in Zoom, because that's the reason we had to re-record on Tuesday. And then Fletcher's audio decided to go all wacky for the first third of it. So we got to test that backup audio right away. Um, so thanks to John, we didn't have to record on Wednesday as well. Ugh. Coming in clutch. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we need our live audience more than they need us <laughs> That's, that is true um all right and oh did i i think i've shared the we're, at the end of this episode we're doing our 250 dollars holiday giveaway um everyone who's in the live audience now will have five extra entries at the end and i'm going to make uh fletcher add that in there you should have access to this document in the sheets thing fletcher um, okay going to it now <laughs> first i've heard about it let's do this <laughs> so i like to keep things a little spontaneous and not let fletcher know what he has to do i did do a lot of notes for this episode which is why i'm excited about it i learned a lot of stuff here but first we have some um just brief feedback and stuff from past episodes and people who added some stuff on with their entries um Glenn Cotter pointed out that I should check out Dwellings of Evervale and Whistle Mountain. So Whistle Mountain, I was able to order because I did check out the reviews and that looks really cool. Dwellings of Evervale, Elder Vale, I am not able to order. I'm only able to pine after because right now only the Kickstarter backers have it and there's no retailer I could find that has that for pre-order. So thanks, Glenn, for making me want something I can't have. <laughs> it's all cool. Um, let's see. Mike thought I was describing a robot, and then he decided that if there was a board game robot, I would own it, and then that would be what I was describing. Uh, that's probably true. I would definitely own a board game robot. But we have a question from Alex. So, and I, I wanted to throw this out there and see what you guys thought. So he says, my favorite games lately have been Wingspan, Parks, Ticket the Ride, Europe, Root, Azul, and The Crew. So relatively casual games, except for I would say Root is a little bit more, probably the heaviest of all of this. Mm -hmm. He says he would like a recommendation on a heavy game he can put some time into learning. And then he mentions that he also loves Star Wars. So 
I have some ideas. I was wondering, do you guys have like a heavy game? Heavy's relative, right? But from yeah. like this set of games, where would you guys go next? So these all sound like games that I really enjoy, except for Root. Um, and I would say a heavier game. It's not actually that heavy, but heavier than this would be Windward. That's one from our 2020 list that I really enjoyed that um, I'm basing this entirely on. You like a lot of games I like. I also like this game. That's <laughs> it. <laughs> I like that's a good one. Fletcher, do you have any recommendations or thoughts on this? Uh, no, because I'm trying to figure out how this spreadsheet works. He's frantically adding the live audience. You gave him a job I'm to like, do while we're recording. What did you expect? <laughs> uh, yeah. With no information about how this spreadsheet works. So I'm trying to figure it out as we you go. You did this last time. Go to go uh, to row 111, put in a name, put in live audience, and put in five. Yeah, I figured that out now. But the way that you have it set up. It says drawing one, drawing two, drawing three. I'm like, oh, is this drawing from like last times? Like, <laughs> no, this is the... literally the drawings that were sent in. Yes. <laughs> I have it set up so w- the winner will know exactly why they won. So I have like every, because it was just easier to keep track. Why? Of oh, who cares? You <laughs> because won because easier... of the drawing. <laughs> it was as easier opposed for to... me to keep track. So that's, I'm like, all right, that's good. Um, there, so anyway, that's a better... to answer, yeah. back to Alex's question. <laughs> uh, um, let's see. The, the next one I would go, I would try, if you really like Star Wars, I would try Star Wars Outer Rim. I think that this game has a ton of potential for expandability, but even right out of the box, it's a lot of fun. And it's still within that kind of hour and a half-ish playtime for two players. If you really want to go heavier and you're like the space theme, uh, you can't go wrong with Eclipse, Second Dawn for the Galaxy. That game is fantastic. And if you want to go something a little bit more like in the fantasy realm, um, and I, I know the last three episodes I've said this, uh, pick up Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion. It's, it is a heavy game, but that box is easy to get into. And after those 25 scenarios, if you really love the system, there's another 100 plus in Gloomhaven and another 100 plus in Frosthaven coming out in a few weeks or a few months. Um, maybe a few weeks. Depends on what you call a few, but soon. <laughs> So all of those would kind of work into there. None of those are like really crazy above what you're already playing. I will also say if you're enjoying those games, it's not actually heavier at all, but you should check out Calico. Um, I was looking online. My dad actually asked me for a game recommendation for one of his coworkers. And apparently I nailed it last year with Fox in the Forest. So I recommended Calico and I was like, oh, I'll just send you to the link on Amazon. It's not available anywhere online, but he was able to find it at our local game store. So check your local game stores. Yeah, Yeah, that is actually true. If a lot of these games that are going to be sold out online, it's basically because that's where everyone's going. Yeah. So if your local game store is in business... Yep. <laughs> Be safe. You might you might not even need to. Well, you should mask up anyway. Yeah, but call ahead. You can see just if they'll call your curbside. game store. <laughs> yeah, they'll run it out to the car. Like you don't even need to leave the car most of the time. Even if they don't advertise curbside, they will run out to the car to make a sale. They're they're not. Above <laughs> <that>. <laughs> Chris speaks for all game store owners. <laughs> yes, speaking for everyone in retail <laughs> who wants to make money during a pandemic, they'll step outside the door to make a sale. Okay. Let's talk about chess. And <laughs> so this is obviously inspired by the Queen's Gambit. 
And this is what I do. And if you've listened to the show for, I don't know, 217 episodes, you know that I kind of get micro-obsessed with things. Heck, this <laughs> podcast is, is one of those micro-obsessions that just won't go away. So when I jump into something to try to figure, like to learn more about it, I dive in to learn as much about it as possible. And the things, there were questions I had from the show. I mean, I've played chess. I mean, I think everyone's played chess. But there were questions I had while I was watching the show that I wasn't really sure how to answer. Sydney would ask me, it's like, well, why are they doing that? Or what is that? I'm like, I think it's this, but I'm not sure. The chess clock being a big one. Um, And then the notation, like chess notation was also one that I'm like, I've never really tried to wrap my head about, you know, King's Rook 4 or what that means, mm-hmm. right? So I started digging into those things. And those are the, I'm just going to try to elaborate on some of those questions and why you shouldn't play chess or you should play chess or chess is great or chess isn't great. We'll also <laughs> have that mixed in there as well. Uh, Fletcher, you said that you, did you say you played competitive chess or just part no, of a chess club? I was part of a chess club in elementary school. Okay. So elementary chess. That's good. That's good. And Kitty, what is your experience with chess? Um, I used to play chess with my dad uh, when I was pretty young. And what we learned is neither of us are very good at chess. <laughs> <laughs> that fair, fair. Um, I don't think I am good at chess. I definitely would get beat by just about any human being. I am okay playing intermediate AIs online. Then you're better than I. I can maybe beat a beginner AI. Yeah. Maybe. So, yeah. And I don't... Chess is not something I would just sit down and play almost ever. However, I have never... (laughs) So let's talk about it for the next hour. (laughs) But I do. Well, I think there's a lot of important things with this. And this is my way of not having an entire episode on Monopoly. Because I think that that could justify an entire episode, too. But I don't think anyone... Wait, we did an episode on Monopoly. Did we? never mind. Oh, we... (laughs) We did. We did. All right. So this is just coming back to my... from the brain file. (laughs) My classic theme. (laughs) Deleted it from my mind palace to make room for better things. (laughs) But, all right. But seriously, when I walk by... Just like when I walk by all the different themed Monopolies. When I walk by chessboards in game stores... Like, I have to stop and look because there's a lot of really cool, like, art piece chessboards out there, which I have never, ever had the desire to purchase because I do not need to spend $800 on a chessboard, but I can still admire the art of the chessboard. So, we did a classic games episode years ago. I think this was. I think you're talking about ancient games. Ancient games. I want to say it's like Um, episode 60. Maybe. It's, it was definitely old. Um, you're gonna if I go got it, I'm going to look it up. And if I nailed it, I'm, I don't know, giving myself <laughs> you, a prize. You get <laughs> a Give prize. yourself a high five. <laughs> <laughs> and we talked about the history of chess. Um, and I'm going to just quickly summarize it here. Uh, essentially, this chess was probably invented, or at least the foundational game that chess is based off of, um, in India about 1,500 years ago. So it's been around for a while. That was the sound of me giving myself a high five. Episode 60, <laughs> Ancient Games. <laughs> Check it out. Wow. <laughs> um, and I think we talked about it then, too, that 1,500 years ago. Uh, there was a game called Chaturanga... 
Chat, See, you chat, had it chat-a-runga. so close. Chaturanga is what oh I would God. say. Not uh, not a going to work here anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's an Office Space reference. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, in any case, this game existed. Uh, the pieces were not the same. I don't think the board was exactly the same. But two major things came out of that game. And this is just kind of interesting when you like watch the progression of games. Where 1,500 years ago, this game had different pieces having different abilities versus like checkers where everything has the same. This one, depending on your piece, you could do different things. And then the other one was whoever won or lost the game depended on a single piece. So you can think of like Stratego also has a similar thing where you know, you're trying to get to the person's flag and that's the state of, of the game. Um, 900 years later, we got to something that's more of what we know today. We did kind of jump through, I think, the 12th century or so. Um, the current pieces, as they are defined today, are what was existed. And then in 1500s or so, the p- gameplay was very similar to what we see today. And there's been some... Some people think that the game was actually played with dice early on. So a similar, there's a variation of chess called dice chess, where you roll dice to determine what piece you have to move. Um some people think that that's how chess got started early on and people would gamble on chess. So you roll the dice, make it, make your move. And, you know, you'd basically bet on, on chess. Um, different reasons why gambling was outlawed, religious reasons, um, royal reasons, whatever the reasons. Eventually the dice were dropped or if, if they ever existed at all. Um, and then we advanced to about, oh, was it 1850-ish where we had our first official chess tournament. So for those who have never played chess, and actually I'm going to take an informal pool for, poll from our audience. Is there anyone listening who's never played chess? Nobody's volunteering that information. So I'm going to assume that everyone <laughs> in the world has played chess because it's played literally all around the world. Um, but Fletcher, think- I'm going to make you go over the basic rules right after Kitty makes her comment. Even if you haven't played chess, it's so hard to be unaware of chess. It is referenced in everything, from Rugrats to Snow White and the Huntsman Winter's War. Like, there are references to it everywhere. To stay ignorant of chess as a game, you have to be trying. Yeah. You you literally have to just ignore all culture. Yeah. (laughs) It pops up in the weirdest places. All right, so Fletcher, I'm going to give you 60 seconds to describe how to play chess. 60 Ready? seconds, Go. okay. Uh, well, the first bullet point <laughs> you Everyone have else here, get I your pens and papers out. You're going to draw this out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you have on here uh, king on color. I'm pretty sure you meant queen on color because uh, I'm pretty sure the queen goes on on the color. Uh, but essentially, it's a it's an 8 by 8 grid, 64 squares. You have a row of eight pawn, eight pawns in front. And uh, eight other pieces behind that. Um, you have starting at the two ends, you have your two rooks, then followed by your knights, then bishops, and then in the middle two pieces, the middle two squares is your king and queen. Um, essentially, um, geez, I don't even know how to describe this in like 60 seconds, but but <laughs> the quick rules are like the pawns can only move one space at a time and attack diagonally uh your queen can move in any direction as many spaces as she wants your king can move in any direction only one space at a time 
bishops move diagonally as, as far as they want to go. Um, and they're each on opposite colors and they can't ever switch. Um, your knights move in like this interesting like L-shape pattern and can jump over other pieces. Um, and you, what am I missing here? Rooks. Rooks. Your rooks move orthogonally as many spaces as they want. So yeah. left, right, up, down. Um, the only thing I would add is pawns can move two if they haven't yeah. moved before. If they haven't moved before, right. So if Did we say they're capture diagonally? Or are we not even there yet? Yes. <laughs> okay. Yep. I, I, think, I, I think I said capture diagonally. Yep. Um, yeah, your pawns capture diagonally. Um, and only one space. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that's about that's the main thing, right? And when you're first learning chess, like I, I kind of remember learning chess, but I had to have been maybe five when I was learning. Yeah, it. and it seems like you know it's it's super complicated. All these things that can do different things, but it isn't after a single game. <laughs> yeah, you know, you get all of that. I think everything is super simple to figure out, except the knights. That's my memory of learning chess. Is that like everything is like oh yeah perfect sense i got this i got this the knights bah. Yeah. Well, it's hard to visualize where the knights can go uh when early yeah. on yeah eventually you start looking at a knight and you start you see a flower pattern around them yeah because that's where they can go but yeah at the beginning it's like wait a minute what what does this knight do and i can do what with it um the the special rule that i think most people that are just casual chess players completely disregard as a rule is castling um, do either of you know how to castle? Yeah, Vaguely. it's easy. Well, I mean, <laughs> it, it's not it's not easy, but like essentially, uh, neither your um, king nor your rook can move, um, and then you move your. Um, there's king's side castling and there's queen side castling, <laughs> and either you move your your king like two or three spaces over, and then your and then your rook moves like adjacent over like to like where the king was and it's basically i don't know it's hard so, to describe <laughs> on a grid it, so fletcher it, it's easy to move the pieces to, yeah so fletcher also does not know how to castle which is fine because i know again, how to castle you, i just don't know how to describe it, it well <laughs> so this is how castling works um fletcher's mostly right the king's always going to move two spaces it's always going to either move two spaces to one side or the other um, and then the rook is going to go to the opposite side of where the king was. So if the king moves two spaces left, your rook is going to end up to the right of the king. And if the king moves two spaces right, your rook is going to end up to the left of the king. Um, rook, The king or the rook that's castling, they can't have moved before and there has to be a clear path. There's a few other rules that I did not know until today. Oh, yeah. They have to be a clear path and, and they can't. The king can't be, like, attacked on the way, essentially. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if there is a piece that could attack into a space that the king is moving past, that you can't castle from. And I'm like, wow, that is very interesting. I never even thought, uh, like, castling was described to me once, and I did it once, and I, I'm like, this is too complicated. I'm never going to do it again. <laughs> um, let's see. the And then, obviously, you can't move the king into check. That's another castle rule, but that is basically a rule no matter what for all of your yeah your you kings. can't yeah um but yeah so the king size the king side castle and the queen side castle i always thought it was the way that fletcher described where you moved the king to the rook and then the rook jumped over the king it isn't you move the king you two spaces and then the rook jumps over the king yeah. which is interesting you don't um and it's a subtle difference but and then in tournament play you must move the king first if you touch the rook then it's not a castle. Then you just are moving the rook, which I also found 
interesting. Um, another interesting. another rule that is often not used in very casual chess, although I think most people know, is if you can get the pawn to the opposite side of the board, you can promote the pawn to any piece. And often you'll promote the pawn to a queen. Even if you already have a queen on the board, you can still promote it to a queen. So you might have yes. to have extra pieces to to do this. Um, I don't know why you would you can- ever make it a rook or a bishop but i could see reasons for making it a knight yeah uh yeah you pretty much are always going to choose the queen because the queen is the most powers i thought that was the rule was when the pawn crossed the board it became a queen so that's how ingrained it is that that's the one you pick (laughs) yep my brain was like yep that's it you could you could could pick anything Ah. but except why would you what yeah (laughs) that's true you can't choose another pawn yeah it has to be one of the other pieces uh (laughs) but it's like why would you choose anything else Yep. Um, and then for, I think almost all of us associate with the taking your hand off the piece and you've committed your move as a chess thing, right? Yep. So once you've taken your hand off, it's committed. I did not realize that once you touch the piece, you're committed to moving that piece, mm-hmm. which is interesting as well. I'm like, oh, all right. That's, that's hardcore. I can see that, which is also why when you're castling, you got to touch the right piece first. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Miles asked, if you already have a queen, does the pawn become a mistress? Um, <laughs> I, th- I mean, it was developed in India and there was harems in India. So I guess you can have multiple queens, right? Does that, I don't know if I'm being no. culturally insensitive, <laughs> but. <laughs> I think there's harems everywhere. All right. So yes, you can have, if you're a king, you can have multiple wives. You just it's good say. to be the king. It's good to be the king. <laughs> all right, Kitty, why don't you tell us the way that the games can end? And I've done all these notes for you, so you should be good with this. I'm curious, like, you let me know if it, what ones of these. I only know of two of them. And, yeah, the other four I was not unaware of. <laughs> so um, to win the game, you want to uh, get your opponent in checkmate. So check is when your king is in danger. There is a piece that can capture the king. And checkmate is when the king is in check and no move can prevent them from being taken. So it is the step before you would take the king. Basically, you just don't take that last step ever. And that's a fun part of the show. Everyone should watch this show. So good. (laughs) Yes. You resign now. (laughs) Yeah. Um, You can also end with a draw. So uh, in a draw, you get half a point in tournament play. And there are five types of draws, according to these notes. Uh, if they're wrong. Yeah, skip the first this, one. This do, the, do the middle three first, because I want to talk about the first one separately. Okay. So a dead position. It is not possible to checkmate the king. A So this is when you might have like just a bishop and a king on the board versus your opponent's king. You can never put that person in check. Mm-hmm. So that would just be a dead position. Okay. Threefold repetition when the same board state happens three times within the game. And this doesn't have to be consecutive. At Mm -hmm. any point, you can call this and say, no, this has happened three times. And, you know, now you're just kind of making. Mm -hmm. The 50 move rule. If after 50 consecutive moves, no pieces have been captured and no pawn is moved, then a player can force a draw. Now, someone has to call it, but any player can simply say draw and the draw happens (laughs) unlike the next thing i just want to say uh was that you fletcher highlighting (laughs) that chris wrote pisces instead of pieces yeah yeah pisces (laughs) after Uh. after 50 consecutive moves 
No Pisces is captured. <laughs> I'm so used to Chris's like random typos because I think you do it so fast. Autocorrect just fills in and it doesn't like, <laughs> but it cracks me up. But every time it used to happen all the time when we did Dice Tower news that I would just read the right word and move on with my life. It doesn't register. <laughs> Because you're a professional sometimes. <clears throat> but uh, uh, enough making fun of Chris. The um, This one is mutual agreement. You both just decide it's a draw. Yeah. And you saw this several times in the series where someone would just offer a draw and then the other person can decide to say yes or no. Mm-hmm. And you can offer a draw at any point. Um, typically, you don't do it at the start of a game because that's considered... <laughs> bad sportsmanship but in tournament play it might be the right move like each of you getting a half point may be more important than risking losing a point so that's why you tend not to collude on that so the fifth one which is technically a draw um because again there's no winner is the stalemate and i was playing a game online the other day and i accidentally stalemated my opponent and i was furious because i had everything like there's no way that my opponent could have won but I had gotten them into a situation where the king was surrounded and couldn't move and there were no other pieces on the board for them to move. So in that case, if there is no legal move that your opponent can make, it's a stalemate and you both just, it's a draw at that point. And I'm like, but that's not fair. But apparently this concept or this this rule has been used in by like master chess players to avoid losing. They will set themselves up for an intentional stalemate that their opponent has to back them into because they can't win. But if they can get themselves into a stalemate, they didn't lose either, which I just think is a very – it's interesting. It's frustrating because I didn't realize I was doing it, and it should have been a win, but it was a stalemate because I I just didn't know. Like, oh, I'm going to surround you. Ha, ha, ha. Oh, what? So, yeah, that is a stalemate. Um, Now let's talk about competitive chess because this is – in the Queen's Gambit, she quickly, and we're not going to spoil anything, pretty much, um, we're going to be talking about chess, and but it's not a spoiler to say that she eventually started to compete by, you know, the second <laughs> episode. So she quickly got into competition chess, and her first um, tournament, she learned that there's different styles and ways to play, and we're going to cover a few of those now, uh, one of which is the chess clock. And the chess clock, I think, is one of the more misunderstood, at least by me, in chess and like what it's doing, why it's there, how it works. And part of it is because there is a lot of different ways the chess clock can work. Um, but what really happened, the reason there's a chess clock at all is because in 1851, this was the first modern chess tournament. This is a London chess tournament. There were players that were taking over two hours to make a single move and they realized, hey, this is a problem. Like, we can't have a tournament where people are taking, you know, hours on an individual move. So what they did is they introduced the chess clock. And this also came about where, like, multiple types of chess came out. So you have, like, speed chess, which is played in – essentially, each player gets 30 minutes total to take all their moves. There's five-minute chess, where each player gets five minutes to do all their moves. The part where they play speed chess in the show, so good. <laughs> so good. So good. So good. <laughs> Yeah. All I'll say. Um, so good. I seriously, <laughs> I'm going to record like just a five minute like rave about this show, how much I enjoyed it. And I'm going to make Chris put it up on Patreon for our well, patron subscribers. So not to give me additional work, um, <laughs> stick around till the post credits and then we will actually talk about the show. Fine. 
<laughs> so that'll be our post post credit information, our post credit spoiler stuff. Um, <laughs> but so the chess clock, it's gone through a bunch of variations. Um, in the eighties, we started getting digital chess clocks. And Fletcher, did you ever play with chess clocks in your elementary school chess club? <laughs> no, <laughs> no. I've never, I've never even. I think I've seen one, but I don't think I've ever actually used one. And in Keyforge, there's been chess clocks have been suggested as a way of handling the going to time rules. Mm -hmm. And universally, maybe not universally, because there's still a a small faction of people who really want this to happen. But most people are like, no, keep chess house out of my game. Um, The core concept of a chess clock, if you just want to describe it very simply, is we each get a set amount of time. If we run out of time, we lose. If it were just that simple, it would be just that simple. But it is not in any way just that simple. It is crazy more complicated than that. So, and and you saw this in the show a lot. They would talk about the times. And they would give you a number of moves and a number of minutes. So they might say something along the lines of, you have two hours to make 40 moves. And in that concept, that is exactly what you have. So each player gets two hours to make their 40 moves. Which, if you think about it, is a four-hour game. Now, you're only making 40 moves in that four hours, but it essentially allows you to play up to a four-hour game. It's another question we had is like, how long are these games going? Because it's hard to get that perspective when you're watching the show. Mm -hmm. And why are they taking a break overnight? Like, don't they have a chess clock? Don't they only have two hours? Like, sort of. Two hours to make 40 moves. Once you've made your 40 moves, then you get an additional hour to make another 20 moves. So now you have six hours to make 60 moves each. Well, uh, three hours to make your own 60 moves, but then two players. Now, there, then if that time expires, then you'd go into a quick play finish, which I still haven't, I was not unable to find out what a quick play finish was. Um, but essentially, just your standard international chess clock is still up to a six-hour game of chess. And you may be playing dozens of, well, maybe probably not dozens, but <laughs> you're going to be playing you know, several handfuls of games as you're going through. Um, I, the chess clock is an interesting thing. And that's just the, the analog one. Digital clocks these days have a new format that they call 212. You have two minutes to take your first move. Each time you take a move, 12 seconds are added to your clock. So this actually makes it so a game can take infinite time. As long as you're taking less than 12 seconds to take your move, you will keep banking time on top of it. But what it does is it keeps both players taking approximately the same amount of time for their turns. And you can only do this really in a digital clock that will automatically add that Mm -hmm. time to it. Um, So this is another way that chess clocks can work. Um, The other thing that they were doing in the show quite often is recording moves. And in tournament play, it's required to record your moves and your opponent's moves. And that's how you know when the chess clock, when you've like hit the number of moves required to, for whatever the chess timings are. Also, you can track your teams, you can you know replay them, you can set them back up, you can check for mistakes, all that kind of stuff too. But they weren't just writing down moves because they wanted to keep track of it. Because I'm like, why is she still writing down moves? She's so good. She doesn't need to do that. Mm-hmm. Well, she does because it's required by tournament. So, Kitty, have you learned anything about chess clocks? I actually weirdly knew a lot about chess clocks. I don't know why. I don't know where this like information came from in my brain. But yeah, um, not particularly learned anything. But it is a really interesting topic. It's a really interesting way to keep the game moving. And it's very, I feel like 
kind of iconic look like seeing the chess clock next to the board like you everyone recognizes it so yeah yeah i think it's it's interesting that you're not allowed to um hover over the button Mm -hmm. so you make your move and then you press the button so it's etiquette to use the same hand that you move your piece with to hit the clock button just so you're not like rushing the clock there is a lot of etiquette in chess i feel like it is almost like the the unspoken unwritten rules are as important in this game as the written rules are that like no one will like like you or want to play with you if you like break the etiquette even though it's not against the rules yep so fletcher what's your thoughts on chess clocks should we in institute them in all games uh well no probably not um (laughs) but i i Literally thought the chess clock was just like, you know, you agreed on a time limit for a game, you know, like a two hour game. So one each person gets one hour. And if you run out of time, you lose. I guess it can be as simple as that. But there's like you said, there's so many other rules yep. that you can like add on to that. I mm-hmm. I didn't know. Yeah, I, I like the 30 minute clocked version where it's just like you have 30 minutes to take all your moves. So it's just basically speed chess. It's not five minute chess, but it's still fast. And that way you can say you have one hour, play your game, ready, go. And I don't know this because I actually didn't do any additional research. But again, from the show, it seems that having the skills to play speed chess or five minute chess is very different than playing a long game of chess. You know, so Mm -hmm. whether you're playing, are you playing from memory? Are you playing, you know, more instinctually, like just in general, you don't have as much time to analyze what's going on. So you just have to play your gut. And I actually, I don't know, maybe five minute chess is more playing the board. You know what the board state is, and this is the right move to make in this particular board state. Um, we're getting some chat in the, in the board that we should, uh, in the, getting some chat in the chat. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Chess clocks for photosynthesis. And I honestly, think we even I think said I'll, that during that episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was I, I like, not taken well. <laughs> no. Well, and the thing is, and I think that's why a lot of people really balk at having a clock on anything, right? Because it does create this competitive pressure that when you're playing chess at a tournament level, I don't get the impression that you're having fun. I get the impression that you are, you know, trying to be the best. You're trying to win. And obviously there's fun in winning, but there's, it's a very serious thing. And when you're playing casual chess, you're playing in the park or something, that's when you can like relax and have fun. And when you introduce something like a chess clock, I think you make things feel more competitive and it's tricky. And as much as I would love to put, you know, an AP clock on, on people. um, (laughs) (laughs) So, all right. The other thing I wanted to figure out is chess notation. And it was disappointing for me to find out that the notation that they were using in the show is no longer used. (laughs) Um, It is called descriptive chess notation. And it's what you would typically hear when someone's, you know, you hear someone talking about chess. You know, this is Queen's Knight 4 to bishop or queen king bishop three i don't know like you can't just make it up but it sounds like you can just make it up um and the way that that works and i i literally had to look this up and actually the reason why this isn't used anymore i'll i'll explain as part of this the way that it works is it's relative to your position so when Mm -hmm. you give your notation the it is not the same notation that your opponent is seeing if they're writing that same thing down sort of kind of so what happens is on your left side, you have, which is your queen side, 
you're going to be going. Um, I think it's your queen side. Um, you're going to go. Now queen, I got to go back rook. to look at the picture. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure it is. It's queen, queen, rook, queen, knight, queen, bishop, and queen, and then king, king, bishop, king, knight, king, rook, and that's how you name the columns. Now the column names are the same for I think both they're called sides. Files. Tiles. Files. I think it's uh, files are files are columns and ranks are rows. All right, then the files. That's how you name the files. Um, and they're if the same. Where you want to use chess sides. terminology anyway? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because your kings and queens are mirrored, so your king and queen are on the same file, um, regardless of of what side you're on. From that point on, it's just as you would count one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. But it's from your side. So your back row is one. Your opponent's back row is eight. To them, it's reversed. So you can actually have notation where you may have, um, so it would be something like uh, pawn king five. And that's moving the pawn in front of the king up to row five. And then your opponent can also do pawn king five because from their perspective, it's the same move. It's just mirrored on their side. So you'll have this back and forth notation. One of the downsides to this notation is every square on the board has two different ways of referencing it. One of the advantages is you can easily play out the game. You're, you're basically writing the same notation on on both sides. But they don't use that notation anymore. Um, what they use now, that was descriptive chess notation. What they use now is algebraic notation, uh, which is more battleship notation. So it's A through H on the files and one through eight, where one is the back row of white and eight is the back row of black. And then everything is written from that notation. So it'd be, you know, you might have king, if, if you were moving your king, um, you know, king to h4. And that would be wherever your king was is now in h4. Now, there's some things you don't mention. If it's a pawn, you just put the space you're moving to. You don't notate that there's a p there for pawn. It's just shorthand. Um, if multiple pieces, so if your rook if both your rooks could move to the same spot and they're and you're saying rook move to this spot, you'll notate usually the file that they're in. Unless they're in the same file, then you'll notate the column they're in um, so you can differentiate which rook is moving. Um, it sounds complicated. It is a little bit, but probably not as complicated as saying queen rook to bishop knight four. So something interesting, I went uh, to go look at the setup, and the queen is on your left if you are playing white, yeah. but uh, if you're playing black, it is on the other side, because they are... It's on your right. Yeah. Well, yeah, because... It's mirrored. Both so. queens are on your left if you're white. Both queens are on your right if you're black. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Um. But yeah, so I thought that was, I don't know, I just, I'm like, uh, now that I know how to do descriptive chess notation, I, you're never going to use it any place. You're always going to hey, use the bring it back. <laughs> I don't want to bring it back. <laughs> Get into competitive chess and infiltrate their ranks. I'm sure they're really into change. They seem like the kind of people who love <laughs> changing the way they do things. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of, um, if you go, I think I went to chess.com and it is a really cool little um, site where you can just play for free online, play against multiple AIs. It'll tell you whether or not your moves are good or bad. It'll log all this stuff. Um, there's just a ton of stuff you can do there. So if you're interested in playing chess and not spending a bunch of money getting chess boards, um, chess.com is a bunch where I of went. money. Oh my God, so much money. 
You know, I think the right, only reason I would get a chessboard is because I would want like a really fancy one to go in like if I had like a mansion with a big fireplace, you have to get like a fancy marble chess set to go in front in of In your it. library. Yeah. <laughs> Where you always have a roaring fire going, which was set by your servants. Like you just have to. You like if you live like that, you have to have the chess. That's the only reason I can see buying a chess set. Christopher says no, it goes into the chess room, not the library. Um, but as a great segue, are you going... All right. I guess we're going to... This is the opinion part, Kitty. So, and Fletcher, this is where the dry stuff, the, the, the notation, the chess clocks, the how you play, all that stuff is behind us now. Should you teach your children chess? Yes. Yeah. All right. Why? If it's such a dry and boring game, Well, I think some people really love it. And it's one of those things where I will quote the Bluey podcast here. You can't be what you can't see. So you are teaching your kids that critical thinking skills and things which some people might think are old fashioned still have value. And by learning this game, you never know. My kid might really love this. My kid might think in a very different way than I do. Do I enjoy playing chess? No, but that's okay. I know a lot of people who don't like playing Calico or Azul (laughs) or any of the other games that I play, let alone any of my other obscure hobbies. I think you want to expose your children to as much of the world as possible because it's good for them. I couldn't agree more. Fletcher, anything to add? (laughs) No, I mean, like, beyond just... It's now in like the cultural ethos. So mm-hmm. beyond just that, it, it, it in some ways it's more than a game, but also your kid might really like chess. You mm-hmm. don't know. And if they don't, that's fine. They don't have to like it. But now they know how to play. <laughs> yep. And it will make them appreciate the games that they like more if they've played games that they don't enjoy. Like I think it's it's there's value to learning what you don't like as much as there is to learning what you do like. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. John mentions, John kind of hits the nail on the head for me. He says it teaches critical thinking and strategic patience um, and strategy and patience. I think that chess, because it is more, checkers is the first game you teach your kids, right? I mean, now you're probably doing no. tic-tac-toe and you're doing some shoots and ladders and things like that. But eventually you're going to be playing checkers with small kids mm-hmm. because it's easy enough to figure it out. Um, and... We could talk about checkers too, because a lot of people play that wrong. But um, <laughs> if you can jump, that, you must. <laughs> if you can jump, you must, and that's a, a vital <laughs> rule because without it, there's no strategy in checkers. Um, but chess is the next step up that says, okay, now we have this eight by eight board, and you have you know sixteen pieces on the board, but they're each going to do something different depending on the shape of that piece, and your goal is to essentially take this one piece right here. This is your this is your focus. And when I first started playing this, like I had no idea what I was doing. Just moving the pieces correctly was all I was focusing on. And that's a huge first step to saying, okay, there's more moving parts in this game than just this one rule that I've been done using for all the other games I played up to that point. You know, regardless of what you play, you know, Hi-Ho Cherio, Shoots and Ladders, Candyland, like all of these things are just like, do this one thing over and over and over. And now you're like, oh, wait, I have six things I can do. This is major heavy. This is awesome. Um, 
<laughs> Miles mentions that backgammon goes between checkers and chess, and I would probably agree with that. Um, <laughs> I don't I think know. That's, I, I think still that's can't figure out how backgammon. Like I, I, <laughs> it's kind of in the same like category as Homeworlds, where I think I've got it. And then I play it. I'm like, no, I'm doing this wrong. I don't know. What, <laughs> I don't know what it is. My brain won't learn these games. <laughs> well, but that's kind of an interesting thing about it too. Is when you're teaching like a five or six year old chess, their brains aren't learning these games either. But their brains are wired to be able to learn how to learn these games. And They're, yeah, like learning how to play chess is all about learning how to recognize patterns and to repeat those patterns. And kids are so good at that. Whereas, I don't know, I I just hate homeworlds. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm still going to eventually do my YouTube video on, on playing homeworlds. It's still one of my favorite games of all times. But that's <laughs> how I describe homeworlds is space chess, right? So I don't particularly like, want to sit down and play chess. And if I pulled out a chessboard at a restaurant, even if it's a little travel chessboard, and you started playing chess, we wouldn't have anyone come up and say, what are you playing? Every single person who walked by the table, you know, in the before times, would say, would know, <laughs> oh, they're nerds playing chess. That's exactly what they're thinking as they're walking by. I'm a nerd who would be happy to play chess just about anywhere if someone said, let's play chess. I'm still going to walk by someone playing chess and say, oh, they're nerds playing chess. Cool. They're my kind of people. That's what I'm thinking. When I put homeworlds on on the table, every single person walks up and says, what are you doing? Because it doesn't look like chess. They have no idea what it is. But it's the same abstract you know, game. Also, homeworlds is fantastic. Um, I don't know that it's better than chess. It's, it's far more fun for me than chess. Uh, <laughs> it's the same general type of game. I think, th- actually, that's the one I think I wanted to also hit on, too, is chess is the most popular of a particular style of game that we don't see made anymore. At least, not often. There are companies that actually focus specifically on this, but it's the abstract, or maybe even not abstract, but it's the full information... <sighs> I, just full information. Like, there's yeah. nothing hidden, right? It's open information, it's just, yeah. usually dual. Yeah. No random full information. Mm-hmm. And that is just mind versus mind. What you're yeah. doing just versus straight up strategy. Yep. So, what I am doing is I am waiting for you to make a mistake. Even if I know it was a mistake when you did it, uh, that's, that's what I'm waiting for you. I'm waiting for you to make those mistakes. In most of the games I play that are not like this, if someone does something that is you know subpar for them because they're learning the game or whatever the case i might point that out as like oh you probably wanted to go there instead or something like that you don't do that in chess because that's how you win you you have to maximize their mistakes and minimize your own otherwise you know there's nothing else there there's nothing else to chest and i always say chest with a t but it's <laughs> i know i'm saying it chess <laughs> chests it's all about the chests <laughs> but I just I think it's an interesting type of game, and again, we don't see them. Like Homeworlds is the one that I can say, but even then, that's from the Pyramid Arcade box. There's a bunch of those in there, but you know, they're not super popular. They're not rated very highly. I think it's because you have to think in a very different way to play this kind of game than you do any other kind of game. And it, if it appeals to you, you love it. And if it doesn't, that's it. Like, I hate thinking out multiple steps in a turn. I just hate it. I want to have a limited number of choices I can make that 
I won't know what my choice will be on the next turn based on what I do. So I don't have to think out like with chess, you can seriously look at the board and think if I move this piece here, they can move this piece here or this piece here or this piece here. And then you have to think out all of those possibilities. And if you're a good chess player, like a lot of times you just have these states memorized. Like there, there's so many moves into a chess game that everyone's like, Oh, we just know what's going to happen. I don't want to do that <laughs> ever. Yeah, I can't. <laughs> it I sounds can't do that. miserable. My fun yeah. should not have homework. <laughs> yep. But if well, that's appealing that's actually... to you, then it's not homework. You know, like some people yep. be like, hey, I hate reading. I don't like to sit down and read for enjoyment. It feels like homework. And I'm like, I love to read and I will read. Like if you just gave me infinite time, I would read all the books. <laughs> yeah. Here's a phone well, book. Have at it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's actually how AIs work. Like artificial intelligence to play chess, at least the the more common ones, uh, work by saying, okay, if I make this move, my opponent's going to do this, and I'm going to do this. They'll play out all the moves. Mm-hmm. If I do this, 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 and this, what do my opponent can do? Then what can I do to that? Then what can I do to that? And the number of levels deep they can go determines how smart the AI is. And then each board is evaluated. So when I make a move, and then you make a move, and I make a move, we look at the board state, and what is the strength of my state right now? And what you're doing is you're pruning off all the bad board states and getting to the best board state for you after X number of moves. Now, more modern chess AI, I did it again, chess AI, um, (laughs) is it's they're getting more to the neural network side of things where we don't know why the the computer's doing what it's doing we just know that we've trained the computer on so many chess games that it just knows what to do and this is almost like an intuitive player um and ai playing in that way so those the neural network ais are just crazy in what they can accomplish and we literally do not understand why and when i say we i mean the computer science world we know how to make the algorithms. We know how to make them think. We don't know why they work, though. And the same thing with like how our brain works. We just we don't we know all the chemicals and all the firing and all the all the mechanics of it, but we don't know why it all comes together and does what it does. It's just still quite a little bit out there. But I love. I did a lot of like AI stuff for in my undergraduate, and chess the chess AI is like one of the more fun things to do john mentions ai is scary ai is scary it's (laughs) i will say the saving grace to ai at least as we know it today um that you don't really need to be scared of it is ai is very very specialized all our computer intelligence is very specialized computer intelligence it knows how to do a very specialized thing it's not able to you know plot the takeover of the world there's too many things going on too many moving parts in order to do that for now (laughs) let's see what happens (laughs) yeah you shouldn't be scared of ai move something yet (laughs) like with a robot arm like pick this something up and put it over there like that's actually really hard yeah to like do yep yeah and yet we keep teaching them how to do it better why (laughs) (laughs) so yeah so that's our chess show um thanks for bearing with me on this i I, I, I'm going to teach my kids chess. I'm going to try to get Sydney to play a couple of games of chess with me. Um, I, it is not my favorite game, but at all, like for sure. But I think it's an interesting enough game where, 
you know, every few years, I just, I get an itch to play a game of chess. And I find out it's like, eh, it's all right. There's better games out there, though. I I feel like it's, um, you, it's part of our cultural lexicon. You have to know it to, like, understand on some level how our culture works. And it's yeah. the same as, you know, having read Lord of the Rings, Chris. <laughs> There's just <laughs> certain things that, like, to understand people better, you should know certain things. And playing chess yeah. is one of those things. Yeah. Well, chess is like Monopoly, right? Like, when you tell people you play board games, you mean like Monopoly is the standard reply. Yeah. But people the, people don't even think of chess as a board game. It is just a constant. It mm-hmm. just exists. You know, if you tell someone I play chess, like, oh, okay, yeah, I played chess when I was a kid. Or my uncle Yeah, me I don't play, play board or, games. I play chess. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It's like, it's like different. Yep. So hopefully what I was trying to do with this episode is kind of fill in those rough edges where, you know, everyone knows just enough about chess. Maybe now you know more than you ever wanted to. And yeah. So as a reward, we are to the end of our chess episode. <laughs> so now we can talk about our giveaway. And our giveaway has been going on for the last three weeks. I think we've done it three weeks. Um, and at the end of each episode, we did, at the very end, we did a one-minute description of a drawing. Um, now, you could enter, th- leave an iTunes review, and a lot of people did. And we have some great iTunes reviews. I was reading them over yesterday, and I'm like, some of them had me choked up a little bit. Like, you guys are great. <laughs> um, and then... Uh, so you could send in a sketch of what we were describing at the end of the show, or you just send us an email. If you're a patron, you're automatically entered. Um, and all of these things are in a spreadsheet. And with our audience added on, I think we have 875 entries. Wow. Now, <laughs> now again, the drawings are 10 entries apiece. Um, and then the patrons that get their entries and all of that. So, but 875 entries, I think probably almost a hundred unique people. No, can't be that. More like 75 unique, um, people. So you have better than a 1% chance. <laughs> um, and many people have much better than the 1% chance. Uh, let me close this. Let me close this. But what I've done is I've put all of these drawings in a Google Doc, and I'm going to put that link in the show notes. So if you want to see all these drawings, including the drawing for or the, the actual pictures that we were describing, <laughs> that's at the very end of the document. Um, for those in our live audience, I just pasted the link into chat so you can take a look at it. And I'm seeing um, anonymous hamsters and squirrels show up now. So some people are clicking on it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and we, this was actually way more fun than I thought. Cause this was just like an off the wall, like, you know, spur of the moment thing. Kitty described some game she did with her youth group. And I'm like, okay, we're just going to do that. This was not planned ahead of time. <laughs> and it was definitely not planned. I, th- well, I don't know how the second episode came about. If I just said it, we're going to do it and we're going to do three of them or whatever. But when I was going through these, these are just fantastic. Um, Kitty had a lot of people draw the Star Trek Enterprise, <laughs> or at least something very similar. <laughs> Uh, Fletcher had a lot of cassette players. Um, <laughs> VCRs. Like that was VCRs. Yeah. <laughs> and most people had no idea what they were drawing for mine, but I would say a large portion of them were really, really close on mine. Um, Kitty's, uh, it was hit or miss. The, the double <laughs> S at the top that you described is really threw a lot of people off. <laughs> you know, if you look at the picture, it wasn't too terrible. No, it, it wasn't bad. 
wasn't bad. And honestly, a lot of them were pretty darn close. So, um, so yeah. So if you want to check that out, wherever you're listening to this, there's a link. Just click on the link. It'll take you to Google Docs. If you, uh, it's an open link. You won't be able to edit anything, but everyone should be able to read it. But Google might make you sign in. Um, but in any case, they're fun to look at. We had over 50 drawings. So there is a, a lot of cool ones in here. And I think at least one, I'm looking at you, Ralph. Um, I'm pretty sure he used CAD to draw Fletcher's because <laughs> it's almost accurate to like the micrometer. Very straight lines. So, all right. Shall we get to the winner? The way this works, yes. the way this works on all of our drawings is I have a spreadsheet and I put in your name. I put in how many entries you get. It totals the number of entries, randomly picks a number, and throws winner next to the thing. So what I'm going to do, we have a live audience who's here to make sure that everything's on the above. I'm going to share my screen with the live audience. This is the equivalent It's going to of- say winner next to a name. It's not <laughs> actually the winner. Yes, nobody, is, nobody has won yet. So, and just to show our audience, as I type a number here, we can see the winning entry number changes. And I don't think it's very exciting to just type it once and like have that be the winner. So what I do is I go five, four, three, two, one, and whatever the one is, that's gonna tell us who our winner is. So all of our entries are in here. We can see that. We have 875. We're gonna go five, four, three, two, one. And the winner is Justin Willard. Now Justin is a patron at our $2 level and did not actually send in any drawings. So, <laughs> no, which is great. This just goes to show, if you're a patron, like, you you are always on our friend list. Um, Justin, what I do need you to do, though, is email me and let me know um, what type of gift certificate you would want. Amazon, Cool Stuff Inc., um, something else, whatever you want. So, now, I threatened this at one point, but I didn't want to advertise it because I just didn't want to advertise it but i'm not just doing one winner this is 2020 so it's you know terrible 2020 was terrible so we're doing (laughs) two winners (laughs) so we're gonna do one more five four three two one the only person who's can't win is justin but we're gonna try this again so five four three two one and the winner is austin Lerer, 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 Lerer. Yeah, that's how it sounds. <laughs> you know who I'm. You know who you are. Now, Austin did send in all three drawings, and it was drawing three that he just won with. So, congratulations, Austin, and congratulations, uh, Justin. Again, send me an email. Let me know where you want your gift certificate. Our live audience is clapping in her <laughs> and, and cheering. Um, they're also, there's a lot of them are like, Arr. but we appreciate all of the entries and check out the link. These are, there's a lot of really cool ones. Hopefully this makes 2020 a little better for you too. Um, and in general, you know, we can't do this without our patrons. And so we, I don't know, it's just, I, we're not doing this for the money. The, the patron <laughs> stuff goes to paying the bills and giving back to the community. We do it because it's I fun. I think this is a net zero podcast. <laughs> it is a net zero, yes. <laughs> I like that you Kitty's think like, we're not in the negative the whole time. <laughs> yeah. We are operating in we the could red. Be in the ne- <laughs> <laughs> yes. But that's okay. Uh, we love it. So, um, yeah. So that is a show. And what we're going to do is Kitty and Fletcher are going to do the outro. And then after the 
credits, we are going to talk about The Queen's Gambit. And we're not going to talk about D&D this week because we didn't do D&D this week. Um, so Queen's Gambit is instead. All right, Kitty, it's all yours. Tabletop Game Tech is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. If you'd like to follow us on social media, the links for Facebook and Twitter are in our show notes. Want to watch us record live? You can find the link in the show notes as well. Comments or questions? Email us at feedback at tabletopgametalk.com. Hosting fees and giveaways are sponsored by our patrons. If you'd like to be one of these wonderful people, you can find out how by visiting our website, tabletopgametalk.com, and clicking the support us link. And there's a link in the show notes too. Finally, a huge thank you to our current patrons. Adam Harrison, Miles Fairdingham Clark, The Gift of Games, Jason Strong, John Lewis, Joe Hoover, Jeremy Fisher, Terrence Miltner, Sean Peck, Christopher Dong, Jennifer Engelbrecht, Brian Arnold, Michael Yanikowski, David Sellers, David Rank, Jason Marks, Ann Reynolds, Christopher Letko, Stephen Judd, Leanne Verhost, Joe Rackstad, Weatherman Keefe, Paul Raymer, Jimothy, Ben Gary, Matthew Droke, David Rank, Christopher Comstock, Jerry Wong, C. Marie, Justin Willard, Jason Rodney, Sidney Loam, Eric Hoffman, Adrian Dong, Faz Flintham, Eric Salander, Glenn Cotter, John Williams, Sir Sully, Sean P. Kelly, Mike Smith, Caleb O'Brien, Don Gilstrap, Aaron Moore, Ron Nelson, Agnes Toth, Charles Pearson, Jesse Wheeler, and Ronald Roy. And thank you to anyone who's ever been a patron. Your support means the world to us, past, present, and future. Um, I say I like giving away stuff. So next year I'm going to have to give away a lot of these games because I just have too many from not having a general. <laughs> but in any case, until next week, keep playing games and having fun. I had a sneeze re- reading the names the whole time. And then at the end, it just like went away. It disappeared. I hate it. Uh, I hate it. The whole time I was like, just, okay, like don't sneeze. Let me just get through the names. And then it just went away. All right. All right everyone well, in the live audience has like 10 seconds to drop before we spoil Queen's Gambit. <laughs> or at least turn us down. All right. So Kitty... Um, tell us your opinions on Queen's Gambit. Okay, so number one, this has absolutely nothing to do with the plot, but man, are the fashion choices beautiful. I love it. I love all her outfits. I wish that I could dress like that in, you know, my day-to-day life, but I live with toddlers, so not so much. Um, Carmen says the same thing, and she's like, I wish I could dress like that, but everybody would just look at me like a crazy person Yeah, if I dressed in like that, like 19... 60s kind of like attire. Uh-huh. It's gorgeous. I love her winter coat Taylor at Swift the end. Taylor Swift is bringing it back. Uh, no. <laughs> she wants to. <laughs> and you can dress like this. I know people who do, and they do it beautifully. And I just... Honestly, if I had more of like a job where I left the house, not that anyone leaves the house now, but if I had like a more professional job, I might dress in more vintage styles. Um, it's just completely impractical for my life of like sitting on the floor in piles of like Elmer's glue and Play-Doh. <laughs> There's that. Yeah. I didn't pay much attention to the fashion. Um, I don't know why. I did enjoy the fact <laughs> that there was a huge focus on the game itself. Like yeah. the, the, her life was there. The drama was there. What was going on with her was all there, but they never shied away from be- taking chess seriously. And I listened to, um, the NPR, um, pop culture happy hour 
And they had a female chess player talk about the show. And apparently, they were very true to the game. And the games they used were real. And short Mm -hmm. of making the game seem like they went very quickly, they're like, it was pretty accurate to what you would expect in a chess tournament. Oh, my gosh. You just, like, it would totally ruin the show if you showed in any way how incredibly long and boring (laughs) chess games are. We talked about it, like, before. Again, it's like, also hacking, right? Like, (laughs) you just can't. No. Lots of things are like that. Yeah, well, the first time they did an adjournment, and I forgot to talk about it earlier, but, you know, the idea that you seal your move, that was also came from the, you know, the fact that there is a benefit to someone who gets to think longer about their next move. So the sealed move is how you take away that benefit. Yeah. I have to decide what I'm going to do right now, and you don't know what I'm going to do, so neither of us can really focus on where the game's going yet, because there's that one unknown move. I just really liked that the key to her winning was that she had to work with other people. That like chess is such a solitary experience in a lot of ways that I thought it was a really great way to show like the way the Russians were winning was by being a team and that the way that they could compete on their level was to make themselves a team. And even when she thought she had burned all her bridges, she hadn't. And it was very nice. Oh, that last episode killed me. Like, uh, it's so good. Spencer thought it was too wholesome. He's like, I like that the no. whole series wasn't very wholesome. And then the end, it was just like, got so wholesome no. on us. But I loved it. <laughs> There's, there, is, there was no better way to end that series. Like, Sydney had actually mentioned, like, two episodes from the end. She's like, there's not enough, ep- there's not enough story here to do two more episodes. I'm like, just trust them. Trust the writers. <laughs> And this, the last episode is like, yes, it was wholesome, but it was her finding, it was just, it was like her journey, right? Where mm-hmm. it's like, I don't need all these substances to do what I'm doing. I like, I need my friends. And I just, I don't think that's, I also think it really, sure, but it's also nice. It really kind of highlights the like found family. Like, you know, she was an orphan and she started out with, you know, really no one up until she started the orphanage, like, gathering people around her and she built her own like family and support network and even when she thought she was at her like worst most destructive that's when like her friend shows back up to like i am still a part of your life you think that like these were the only people who cared about you but no like yeah the the janitor that was following her all the time and that part killed me (laughs) oh it's just she, her just realizing that she wasn't Jolene alone. showing and, back up. Ugh, yeah, so well, good. Her, her adopted mother. We we still don't know whether or not we liked her or not. Oh, I love like, her. Is this a? I want to be her. Or is this a? <laughs> like, <laughs> I like if I could just like lounge around my house drinking PBR and playing a grand piano in my <laughs> house coat. Man, <laughs> that sounds delightful. <laughs> yeah i think at the end she was definitely she was there not she was partly riding coattails but she was also making it allowing her to do what she wanted to do and i think the like, part where she's like do, can i have 10 percent?" and then she goes well let's make it 15 i'm like that is exactly what i was hoping she would say because mm-hmm. regardless of what you thought about her drinking habit or whatever she was the reason that She she was that initial support that she needed. She was the support she needed. And I think that moment where 
um, I can't remember exactly what happens, but there's a part where she says, I may have failed as a wife, but I can still be a mother. Like, I think she really, in that moment, took on, like, the real role of being a mother. And yeah, she was the, like, momager before it was a thing, whatever, you know, like, but right. I think she still, like, there's use to that. She helped her navigate this world in a way that you need an adult. <laughs> like, sometimes you yeah. just need a grown-up. And I, I thought she was, I really liked her. Thought yeah. she was very entertaining. Well, so, <laughs> yeah, so one thing I thought going into the series, I thought it was based on a true story. Um, and I didn't want to do any research because I didn't want to know how it ended. But then I'm like, I wonder what she looks like in real life. And then I Googled that. I'm like, oh, it's not based it's a on novel. a true story. <laughs> it's a novel. Um, and the original author died about two years after the novel was published. Uh, the movie rights have been tied up for like 15 years or something like that, 20 years, something crazy. I um, heard it was before- almost made with um, Ellen Page starring. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, and once I found out it was based on a book... I'm like, eh, I can deal with that. Like, I, I just I was like, okay, this isn't a true story. It's just a story. And it's good. But it was loosely based on Bobby Fisher. Yeah. Bobby Fisher actually had yeah. very similar life experiences uh, besides the gender issues. Um, but I thought it was just, it was so well done where I could, I believed that this could be a real thing that was happening. Mm-hmm. You know, well, it's I was surprised very never heard close of it. <laughs> to Bobby Fisher <laughs> and like the taking on the Soviets, you know, like, yeah. Yep. And it is a limited series. There will not be a season two. It is a seven episodes and done. Yep. So, but yeah. All right. So that is The Queen's Gambit. (laughs) We didn't spoil it. We still didn't spoil it that much, really. Um, Um, I think we totally spoiled the last episode. (laughs) No. All right. She didn't die in the end. There you go. (laughs) Because that's the other thing that could have happened, right? She could have, like, taken a bunch of drugs and pills and died in a bathtub. Like, that's the other way that series could have ended. I don't think it would have been nearly as popular if that had been the way. <laughs> Only Spencer so. would have liked it. <laughs> exactly. Spencer can have his fanfic. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We got to press stop. Otherwise, this episode's going to go all night. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. <laughs>